Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. And we glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated this morning. Praise God. Let's give the worship team a great big hand. They did a great job today. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't God good this morning? Before we get into our message this morning, I want to take a moment, if, if you will join with me. And there are uh, several people right now that are out sick, uh, dealing with all kinds of different ailments and different things. And I, here's the thing. I believe we have a God who's a healer. Can you say amen? And he, he heals in many different ways, and I believe that he wants us to stand upon that. I, want, I believe that he wants us to believe that. And so to this morning, what I want to do is I just want to take a moment, and I just want to pray uh, together, join our faith together, and pray for those that are, are struggling with some sort of sickness or some sort of ailment, and just believe God to do great miracles. Would you do that with me? So let's just pray. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we come boldly before your throne, and Father, we uh, come to you because... Lord, there are several, God, within our congregation and, Lord, within our families and our community that are dealing with all kinds of sickness, Lord. They're dealing with COVID. They're dealing with the flu. They're dealing with strep throat. They're dealing with a common cold, Lord. But we know it's a spirit of infirmity. So, Father, we right now declare in the name of Jesus that spirit of infirmity has got to go. We bind you, infirmity, and we command you to loose your hold and to leave. We send the word of God. God to them right now, Lord. Your word says you sent the word and you healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. And so, Father, right now we do exactly as your word says. And we send the word and we say they are delivered, they are healed in Jesus' name. And Father, we stand upon that promise and we glorify you in it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. And so if you're in here today and you're feeling a little under the weather, you take that on yourself and say, I am healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be looking at a couple verses of Scripture. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, finish up uh, this series that we began on spiritual uh, warfare. And we have just one last thought. Now, remember when I began this series, I told you that we were going to look at spiritual warfare. And the first kind of working title of that was spiritual warfare. It's not what you think. And, and the reason I said that is because we were kind of coming at it from a little bit of a different angle. And I want you to just consider just for a couple minutes what we've learned so far because I really believe that if we'll catch these things and, and understand these and put them in our life, it's going to make life a lot easier for us. Can you say amen to that? Now, whether you know it or not, we really are at war. Okay, I'm not talking about a physical war. I'm not talking about war with people or war with a country or, or some political system or ideal or whatever. I'm talking about a spiritual war. And there is a conflict that is being waged right now that's affecting everyone in this room, room this morning. It's in full swing right now. 
And the problem is, is that for many, we are just unprepared for battle. That's the thing that I think that's so disturbing uh, for Christianity is how many people really are unprepared for the spiritual warfare that is not only um, uh, affecting them, but they are actually to be victorious in. The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that Jesus gained the victory. In fact, he overthrew the devil. He made an open display of him, drug him out into public, showed everyone that he's defeated. He took back power and authority, and then he gave that power and authority to you and I, and the church is to walk in victory. Can you say amen? You and I are to walk in victory over the the, uh, little nuances and the habits and the struggles of life. We're not just to survive them. We are to thrive through them with victory. Can you say amen? And I think much of the time the problem is is that we completely underestimate the seriousness of what we are going through. Here, just listen to me for a moment. And what ends up happening is we come up with all kinds of accommodating theologies to explain away the troubles that we are living with. And much of the time, we end up blaming other people or other situations for our problems rather than engaging the enemy. The end result is we become engaged in something other than what is really happening. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm, think, I'm, I'm just thinking this through. I, I'm thinking about my own life. I'm thinking about the struggles I go through. I'm thinking also about the counseling that I do, talking with people and how we come together and we struggle with things and we wonder, where is this coming from? When we end up in various trials and tribulations, we're surprised, but the Bible says, don't think it a strange thing. This is common. This happens to everyone. In other words, there's even a purpose for it because in some grand way, God takes those things and he's working something out in us. He is doing some things in us. Now, he is not the author of those trials. He is not the one producing those things. He just understands that's a reality of life and we are to walk in victory in it. But what happens is because of our unpreparedness, we end up fighting the wrong things. We end up, have have you ever done that in life? Have you ever been, it it probably happens to me a lot with my computer. Ever fought with your computer? Fighting with your computer is a drag. Especially now that computers are, you know, they're designing them to be smarter than you. You know, they're trying to make computers intuitive. I don't like computers that are intuitive. I, I don't want You know, when I'm working on Microsoft Word, I don't want Microsoft Word thinking through the format for me. I want to think through my own format. You know, and then the programmers, these guys that build these programs, they hide stuff. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, you know, you want to change just how, how do you capitalize a letter? And you got to go through about eight different lists and four different menus, and you finally get to this thing called capitalize, and it's under something called backspace. And it's like, why would you put that there? Now, I know I'm venting right now, but this is my point. What happens is we get fighting things, and we get pushing on things that's not our battle. It's not even ours to fight. 
and we begin struggling and pushing back and we begin blaming and we begin coming up with excuses and we come up with accommodating theologies and we even come up with belief systems that, that help us to carry out or help us to shoulder the struggle that we are in. And the end result is we walk in defeat, not in victory, embroiled in a battle with people or things or circumstances or situations that have nothing to do with what's really going on. When we should be, when we should be standing against the one we know is against our soul. Are you hearing me? See, when we finally turn our attention, attention to the right enemy, oftentimes it's with significant hindrance. Listen to what I'm saying. A lot of times through the process, we will gain understanding. And all of a sudden, we come to the conclusion, oh, wait a second. I ought not to be fighting this, but I need to engage in spiritual battle. But when we get into that spiritual battle, oftentimes we are burdened down, hindered by the stuff we went through over here. And this is what I'm talking about today. This is what I'm talking about. If we will learn and grow in this, if we will prepare for battle, as it were, we won't have those hindrances. We won't have that struggle. We won't have those things that seem to tie us up. And so when we started this series, we talked about how important it really is to submit ourselves to God. I think one of the reasons, probably one of the larger reasons why people end up in such struggle is because simply they are not submitted to God in that area of their life. Now, it's possible, listen to me, it's possible to be submitted in some areas but have other areas that are not submitted. The problem with that is what happens is there's a confusion and there's a war that exists inside of you. That's why he says, all of you, I want everything. I want all of you. I want you to submit everything to me. I want you to submit your job, your house, your children, your marriage, your health, your faith, everything. I want you to put it all under me. I want you to live under my influence. The Bible told us in James, it said this. He says, submit to God resist the devil, and he will flee. And what we found out is without first surrendering or submitting ourselves to God, we will never be able to resist the devil. Every area of our life. So if you have an area of your life that is unsubmitted, you will find that that is the place the devil will attack. That is the place where you have the weakest link. That's the access point. That's when he begins to move on you. So these are like, for instance, let me give you some for instances. So if you don't, if you don't surrender your ego to God, then insecurity is going to be your problem. If you don't submit your emotions to God, then you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster 
Because the devil's going to make sure one minute you're mad, the next thing you're sad, the next you're depressed, and you're going to experience every, every emotion known to man. Why? Because that's the place he can wear you out. If you have a problem with selfishness, you, you don't submit self under God, then guess what? You're going to live an entitled life. And you're going to think the world owes you something. And when you think the world owes you something, even those that promote such doctrine will resist you. Because those that promote such doctrine really don't care about you. They just want to control you. That is exactly how the devil works. The devil will come up to you and go, you know... You've been going to this church for four weeks now, and you deserve to have an audience. Somebody needs to listen to your complaint. And if they don't listen to you, buddy, then you better find another church. See, and we think that, we go, well, wait a second, that's right. Holy cow. See, and if we don't submit that to God, then we'll begin to believe that the church owes me something. You owe me. Because what's happening is we're being fed a lie. And we begin to believe it. Why? Because it feels good. It makes sense. And then the moment we don't get it, we're offended. And then there's another spirit called a spirit of offense that grabs a hold of that. See, I told you, you know, that, you know what? You know the only people that come to church are hypocrites. You're all hypocrites. You're all hypocritical. Most of you are so hypocritical, you are duplistic. Do you know what duplistic is? It means twice deceived. It means you are actually believing your hypocrisy. That's how bad you are. <laughs> that ever happened to you? See, when you don't submit yourself, because see, the Bible has a plan. The Bible says, you know what? Consider your brother before yourself. Now, at first, our flesh don't like that. It don't make sense to us, does it? Because it seems like, well, what about me? But when you understand that there's this great thing called sowing and reaping, and what you sow, you reap in abundance... All of a sudden, you submit yourself to God, and you begin to live life from a perspective of God, and you begin to see through his eyes, hear through his ears, feel with his hands. All of a sudden, you begin to see that there's more coming to you than coming from you because you're submitted to him. Without submission, there can be no resistance. And then we moved on, and we looked at our insistence on battling in our own strength, that somehow we're going to muster up the willpower. I have found something out about my willpower. It's lacking. Big time. Boy, I'll tell you, me and Amy, we've decided if, you know, it was so funny one time, 
we were sitting in a restaurant with uh, Dan, Nita, Amy had come with us. We were having breakfast, and I don't know. A- Amy was getting ready to graduate, and she had to, you know, you know, to graduate and to get, you know, qualify for Pell Grants and stuff like that. You had to sign up for selective service, and she says, you know, what's selective service? And we said, well, if they ever enact the draft, uh, you're going to get chosen. She goes, well, good luck with that. She goes, because if they pick me and they put me in the army, I'm telling and they get captured, I'm telling them everything I know. I'm telling them everything because I'm going to be the weakest link. That's me too, man. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I don't, I'm allergic to pain and you threaten me with torture. We're going we're gonna to twist your fingers. What do you need to know? There's 50,000 troops over here and I, I'm done. I'm over. Because I like protecting self. You know what I'm saying? I, I just... I, I'm, I'm not going to do that real well. I'm just not. I, my willpower, my ability to resist in my own strength just doesn't get it. But when I engage in his power, when I am strong in the power of his might, all of a sudden I find a level of strength that I've never known before. I find the ability to stand up and rise to the situation and say, you know what, God, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So this morning we're going to move on into one more area that I think that we need to understand. And once again, this is kind of a backdoor look at spiritual warfare. And it's found in Matthew chapter 12. Very interesting portion of scripture starting verse 43. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, He goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter the dwelling there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first so shall it also be with this wicked generation. Look at verse 44 from the Amplified. It says, then it, sa- then it says, I will go back to my house from which I came out. And when it arrives, it finds the place unoccupied, swept, put in order, and decorated. I love that. When I, I read that, I went, that makes sense to me. Because here's the reality of this verse. It is possible to be swept clean, decorated, and have everything in order in your life and still be empty. Are you hearing me? We can look good on the outside, but remain empty on the inside. Now listen, what I'm going to make a very strong statement, but please do not shut me off here. The reason this is, is because it's not enough to just get clean We must be filled. Literally, appearances can be deceiving. And without being filled, the end result is we end up worse than when we began. This idea is what I want to pay attention to this morning. Now, before I get started, I want to say this, and I want to make some things very clear. I understand when we get saved... Jesus, by his spirit, takes up residence in our hearts, and we are sealed by the spirit himself. There is no doubt that Jesus saves to the uttermost, 
Therefore, I am not suggesting that the work of salvation is lacking. It is absolutely not. What I am saying is there must be an embracing of the work of salvation in our lives and in all that it provides or else we become vulnerable to attack. And there are many things this morning that salvation provides. And it would be, it would be impossible this morning for me uh, in one sermon to cover them all. So we're going to only look at five of them. And I'm going to try to do it as quickly as I can. Five of the ones that I believe are the most important for this thing called spiritual warfare. The first one is identity. I want you to think about this. The first dynamic of our salvation that you and I must embrace in order to walk in victory is our new identity. The Bible is clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 that, says, 17 that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is such a powerful statement, and I've said it before, church, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I will argue this point until I take my last breath. We are not sinners anymore. I know we sin, not saying that. So hear me clearly. We can make bad choices, and we can do stupid things, but by nature, a Christian is not a sinner. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become now new. Now there's an interesting uh, philosophy or, or <coughs> thought in the word of God. It's called this duality. It's called, the, the, it's, it's, it is, but yet it's coming. The kingdom of God is here, yet the kingdom is coming. We are saved, yet we are being saved. We are cleansed, but we are being cleansed. There's kind of this duality in the Christianity. But church, if I take on the position that it has not yet happened in my life, then I give room to be something other than what God calls me to be. I am a new creation. I'm a new creature with a new identity. Old, the old is gone, the new has come, and I have a new identity. No longer am I known for what I have done or what I have not done, but I am now known for what Jesus has done. It's his accomplishments. It's his victory, his power, his authority, his kingdom, his love that marks my life and defines who I am. You have heard of a blood transfusion. Well, we need to experience through salvation an identity transformation. Because of the blood of Jesus, we have a new identity in him. And in order to walk in victory, we must see ourselves how our Father in heaven sees us. Are you hearing me? When we see ourselves as sinners or failures or weak or unable or challenged or afraid or angry or undesirable or ugly or worthless or lacking or unworthy or unqualified or broke, 
then we begin to live from that viewpoint. What is needed is a transforming look at ourselves through the lens of Jesus. It is so important that we see ourselves through the eyes of our Father in heaven because when we see ourselves as God sees us, we will take on the identity he has for us. So how do I do that? You have to have a renewed mind. It's the only route to transformation. Be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Bible says. See, a renewed mind elevates and restores our identity in Christ. And our identity is not in this natural man or the natural system or way of thinking. It's in the spirit. Can you say amen? amen. This renewed spiritual mind in Christ receives God's perspective of who we are. This renewed spiritual mind adjusts its thinking to be in line with his thoughts over us. This renewed spiritual mind speaks the same language that he speaks over us. When God looks at you, he doesn't see what's wrong with you. He sees the image of Christ in you. Listen to these verses, and I'm going to go through them quickly. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become uh, the righteousness of God in him. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you, now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Philippians 3, 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the list could go on and on of who we are, but time would prevent me from telling you at all. The point is that we are at this very moment infinitely more than we ever really understood. And it is this identity that we need to embrace and thereby preventing the devil from coming back in. Secondly, we need to embrace the Word of God. There is no way that we can ever, ever preach a sermon like this without recognizing the importance of the Word of God in our lives. Listen to John 15, 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. We need to understand this concept of abiding in him. 
See, this idea of abiding is more often than not a foreign idea to us. We, we don't, in, in Western language, this is not something how we talk. Many times we come to believe uh, that the Word of God is, you know, it's for preachers or teachers or theologians. It's, it's not for everyday people like us. But the Bible is telling us that the Word of God is something we all should abide in. And so what we do is when we have that mindset, when we don't understand that, again, we come up with accommodating theologies to justify our ignorance of the word. We say things like, isn't reading my Bible on a regular basis just some form of religious duty? Or we say, you know, what my problem is, I, I just don't get it. All that reading confuses me. I, you know, I'll be honest with you, let me just say this about that. It amazes me how much I don't get. I've been reading this word for a long time. It blows me away. I still come across scriptures and I scratch my head and I go, God, I don't even know what you're talking about there. And then I read commentaries and I go, they know less than I do. Or we say things like, I go to church and hear the word preached. Isn't that good enough? Or we say, the problem is I forget most of what I read so I don't think it's really making any difference in my life anyway. Or, here's the all-famous one, I, I just don't have time. This is the reason the Word of God has become ineffective in so many lives. Literally, for the average Christian, the Word of God has been placed in neutral. And no longer does it accomplish what it was sent to do. Not because it's lost its power, because for the majority of believers, it has become greatly neglected. Problem is, is no one's reading it anymore. I've been doing an experiment. I often share with you some of the things that I do in my personal life so that you get an idea. But I made a, so I read every year. I always have a Bible reading plan. And, you know, I've done those plans where it hopscotches through you know, different books and all of that, and that's okay. And then I've done stuff where I've, you know, spent, you know, a month or two in one book of the Bible or, or whatever. But this year, I, I decided to do something a little bit different. I decided to read as much as I could at one setting. And so what I did is I, I read every day out of the Old Testament and New Testament. And so I'm moving through. And so I was telling you, I think I've shared with you, you know, it's anywhere 15 to 18, 20 chapters a day that I'm going through. And, and at first, I, I kind of felt convicted because I knew with that amount of reading, I wasn't going to retain a whole lot. But I, I felt nudged by God. I felt God just gently say to me, that's okay because it's feeding your spirit. And so I've been doing this now for, you know, since, since the beginning of the year. So we're almost two months in, and, and I've, I've read now the whole New Testament, and I'm reading it again, and I'm continuing with the Old Testament. I'm, I think, First Kings or something like that, and, and I'm moving through it. But the thing that I've noticed is that there is this aliveness, there's this change, there's this, this hunger 
It's, it's birthing, you know, a hunger. It's I want more. And so what, what I see is happening is, is I'll see something in that reading and then I'll go back and it just comes a lot easier. Why? Because my spirit now is being fed and it's being accustomed to the language. It's no longer foreign to me. It's, I hear it in my, in my mind, in my spirit because it's alive. Remember, the Bible says it's alive, it's, a, it's, it's, it's powerful, it's, it's not a, a, a dormant thing, but it's active. And when you read it, it's actively moving in your life. See, many have just grown content to come to church and get our weekly dose of the Word, believing that's really all I need. But there's so much more, church. Now, I want you to listen to this, because I came across something in my reading that I spent some time with. And I want you to think about this with me. It's found in Mark chapter 6, verse 48 through 52. It says, Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said, said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat with them, or to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. That was very confusing, that last sentence to me, because Jesus is coming to them walking on the water in the midst of a storm, in other versions, Peter gets out of the boat and walks with Jesus for a moment. But there's this pesky little sentence. For they not, had not understood about the loaves. What loaves? What loaves? Are, are you overshadowing? Are you foreshadowing? Are you losing your mind, God? What's happening here? Why are you talking about loaves? What are you talking about, God? What's going on? And then it says, because their heart was hard. Hard heart's not good. Jesus is putting this story in to communicate something to us. That these guys are still struggling with trusting God. And then it says, in the reason... He's struggling, or they are struggling to trust God, is because they have a hard heart. See, it's possible to be utterly amazed by something and remain completely unchanged by it. The Bible says the disciples' hearts were hard. Literally, they were dull, callous, and insensitive. See, they could not get their head around the miracles that they were witnessing because of a dull heart, because of a callous heart, an insensitive heart. And so much of the time, this is exactly why we struggle with the Word of God. And the thing that reading the Word of God does to you is it makes your heart sensitive to the Word. So when big things come up, so when the Word says things, about great moves or great miracles, <coughs> you are ready to receive it. 
See, these guys are seeing the living word of God in the flesh operating among men. And they were dull. They didn't even get it. They didn't get the loaves. If you can't get the loaves, if you're not going to get the, the, the multiplying of the loaves of bread, you probably will not get the walking on the water. <laughs> they're dull. Why? Because they're just not opening up to it. We need the Word of God once again to find its place of priority in our everyday life. David wrote this in Psalm 119.11. He says, your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 15.16. He says, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. In other words, these guys found a secret to living successfully in a way that honors God, and that was by devouring the Word. The thing that hindered the disciples is they were resisting the Word. It was, not a, it was a passive resistance. It was not an active. They weren't rebuffing Jesus, but they had just grown dull, insensitive in their hearts, so they couldn't understand it. They hadn't embraced it. And I want to challenge you this morning to inspire you to make a new commitment to the Word of God. The third thing that we need to embrace is trust. I thought about talking about faith, but sometimes faith gets a little bit muddled. Trust is a little bit easier to see. So the question I have for you is, what does it mean to trust? Well, Webster defines trust as the basic dependence on someone or something, a belief that something will happen or someone will act in a prescribed way. But there's something more to this word trust than just basic dependence on someone or something. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with your heart, all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your way acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. To trust means to have confidence, to be confident, to be bold, to be secure, to feel safe. The, the implication is relationship. Throughout Scripture, trust was such an important part of effective relationships with God. Joseph trusted God while he was in Pharaoh's prison. Think about that. He is in prison unjustly. He did not do what he was accused of. Fourteen years of his life, they believe, 10 to 14 years, in prison, his life on hold. He had a prophetic dream. He was going to be a leader one day. Some way, so many times we get these prophetic dreams, we get these prophetic things, we get a word from God or a thought, and then what happens is we are confronted and things go awry and we get sidetracked and it seems like, well, that must be wrong as if the thing that sidetracked us had more power than God. Noah trusted God when he was told to build a boat, a big one, really big. It took him a long time to build it. 
It's not like they had power tools. And he says, then what's going to happen? I'm going to go get animals? Two of every kind? How are we going to do that, God? Moses trusted God when he was to deliver Israel, especially standing at the Red Sea. David trusted God when he was standing against Goliath, and the list can go on and on. But you know what? The thing that's common in every one of these is they had a relationship with God. Trust also implies a willingness to let go, to relax, to rest, to submit. Trusting God means that we have to admit that we are not in control of our lives. And when God says in Isaiah 55, 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, he really means it. See, we can have deep encounters where he breaks through in our lives with power and grace and answering our prayers in ways that are time nothing short than miraculous. And in those times, he wins our trust and causes our faith to grow beyond comprehension. But there's also those seasons when chaos rolls in. It rolls in like a rogue wave, leaving us shattered and broken. It can be a physical diagnosis. It can be a a, a significant setback in our finances or our job. It can be a loss of a significant relationship, a rejection, a betrayal, or death. It can be times of unrelenting darkness, spiritual heaviness, or profound temptation. It even can be times of unanswered prayer, and the list can go go on and on. But the point is, in those seasons where the wind is arid, and we don't understand what's going on, and we cry out to God in our confusion, and he seems silent, he seems absent, it's at that moment that we exercise trust. It's at that moment, regardless of what I see, I will trust in him. And it's right there in that place that we face our greatest temptation, and that's to lean on our own understanding. And literally what we do is we put our trust in our own ability, leaning on our own strength, closing the door to God's involvement in our lives. Not because God's up in heaven going, well, if you're going to try, I'm getting out of the way. It's because what God says is you can't. And by being in the way, you prevent me. We are simply called to trust the promises more than the perception. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The fourth thing that we're to embrace, all of these things we embrace, these are things we fill our lives with so when hell comes at us, comes back, it can't refill worse than others. The fourth thing is love. There's one passage of Scripture that says it all. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could move, remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. That passage says it all. There's, 
This is the thing that's so confusing to me about watching Christians. And I, when I say that, I'm talking about the wider, the, the, the more universal body of Christ. And you've seen it, we've all seen it, how Christians can be so vicious, so judgmental, so hardcore, so unloving, which is so not God. It says it clearly. I mean, the things that I've noticed, I'm not a rocket scientist, so it takes a little bit on the uptick for me. But the thing that I've seen is that when it's clear in the Bible, he is deadly serious. There's a lot of things that are vague in the Bible, and he's kind of like, yeah, yeah, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But this one was pretty clear. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels. See, isn't that funny? Isn't it how tongues, especially among Pentecostals, well, I speak in tongues, I must be a good Christian. <laughs> You're just talking a funny voice, that's all. The measuring stick, the measuring stick of our Christianity is not our spiritual prowess. The measuring stick of our Christianity is our love. Jesus said it this way, John 13, 35, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's hard to argue with it, they're so clear. If you're walking in, in, in anything outside of love, you're not walking in godliness. 1 John chapter 5 says, or I think it's actually chapter 4. Could be wrong. But I know it's First John. He says this, if you say you hate your brother, God is not in you. You can't hate your brother and love, your, and love God at the same time. It is physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, every way impossible. We have to walk in love. When we walk in love, we, we push out everything else. And finally, as I close, and Jason can come if he'd like, is we need to embrace our relationship with God. There is nothing more important or necessary for walking in victory than our relationship with God. Listen, everything that I've been talking about so far is spiritual warfare. I remember years ago when I was just getting out of high school, going into college, I had gotten involved with a group of people that were into a, what was called deliverance ministry. This was back in the early 80s. Deliverance ministry in, in the late 70s, early 80s was a big thing. And so they had gotten into that, and, and I think what was so attractive to me in that is because I was hungry for the power of God, and there was a demonstration of that there. And so I had gotten involved in, in that and, and uh, uh, really began to embrace a lot of the, the ideas, not understanding how dangerous they were, not understanding how when they're out of context, they actually create more problems than they repair. And as I was going through that, I began to notice how everything in spiritual warfare was about the about the show, it was about the flash, it was about the, you know, binding and loosening the, the big things, the, you know, the taking authority and the, you know, saying the right name and, you know, 
Jesus asked the demon what his name was, and so they created a doctrine about asking demons what their names were. And, you know, it just got goofy because the names got goofier and goofier. And, and uh, I'm not saying that deliverance ministry isn't real. It is real, but it's got to be done right. And the thing that I begin to notice about Christians is we tend to, we tend to like to get hyper-spiritual. Now look at, I love the manifestations of the Spirit. I love those things. I love it when God shows up and He moves. I love it when people are, are touched by God and, and I love it when they're slain in the Spirit. I love it when they speak in tongues. I love it when they prophesy. I love the manifestations of the Spirit of God. I love all that He does. But church, if, if we're trying to fight a battle and we make it about the flash, you can make it about the gun, but if you don't know how to use the gun, you're more likely to hurt yourself. And so everything we've been talking about this last three weeks, we've been talking about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare begins by submitting, by putting ourselves under the influence of God. And you know what? There are times when God will say, hold, don't do anything. Spiritual warfare is about being strong in the power of his might, not in your flesh. And sometimes we could get everything in order and swept and clean and even decorated. And it can look really spiffy, but be really empty. And if we are, we're vulnerable. And that's why we need to embrace these things. And as we come to the end, we come to this really important thing called relationship with God. J. Oswald Sanders, and I've said this a million times, has said this. He goes, everything in our Christian life and service flows from our relationship with God. Everything is dependent on your relationship with God. Period. Your relationship with God, it's the most important thing about you. And what we need more than anything in life is that relationship, learning to talk with Him, learning to hear Him, learning to respond to Him, being sensitive. It takes time, church. That those kinds of things don't happen overnight. It, it takes time. It takes time to walk in that. It, it takes time to develop that. It's just like my relationship with my wife. We now have ability that I can look at her from across the room and know what's going on. Now, maybe, maybe not specifically, but I can know if she's troubled. I can know if she's excited. I can know if she's sad. I, I can just take one look at her. She can walk in a room and I can know something's up because there's a sensitivity. We've spent time together. We've built a relationship. There's, there's a connection that goes beyond the physical. It, it goes into the spiritual and we, we're connected. There's even times when I, and I know you might say this is a little weird, but there's times when I can feel she's having a bad day at work. You say, well, where does that come from? I, it could be God, it could be other, I don't know. 
But a lot of times I'll just begin to pray. I'll stop and I'll just say, God, help her. And, and within sometimes minutes, maybe an hour, I'll get a, a text and she'll say, man, these kids are exceptionally tough today or some derivative of that. The point is, is that we have a relationship. We've, we've developed it. See, Jesus didn't come into the world so that we could get information about him. He came into the world so that we could know him. Paul writes it this way, and this is where I'm going to close this morning. He says in Philippians 3.8, he says, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He said, there's only one thing I really want, and that's Jesus. That's it. He found out, I believe, because I believe that when you read his letters, you, you find, though he does not say this directly, I think the, the message that travels through his letters is that even in his apostleship, even in his service to God, that was the avenue to get to know him. He wanted him. He wanted to know him, so he knew I, I need to be obedient to him. If I want to know him, I need to be obedient to him. So if he asks me to do something, I'll do it because what's on the hook is knowing him or not. I don't care about all this stuff. I don't care about the resume and the track record. and I don't care about whether people think I'm this or that. I care about do I know him. And so he said, you know what, everything else is meaningless. So church, what we got to do is we got to embrace this. We got to come to a place where we begin to, to look at things and, and we say, you know what, God, I got to fill my life up. And the first thing that we fill our lives up with is our understanding of our identity. Who are we? Then we put the word of God in. Then we walk in trust. And then we allow love to become the focal point and then ultimately our relationship with him and if we'll do that we'll be filled to overflowing and the devil will have no room can you say amen to that why don't you bow your heads with me father we come before you we thank you for the truth of your word and we thank you lord that you are teaching us how to walk and how to live and even how to fight how to how to to uh, enforce the victory that you've already established. How to get the, the, the word of God and the promises of God to become front and center where they, are, where they are realities. They are not ethereal, but they are experiences in our life to where we can walk in that place no longer threatened by what may happen or may not happen, knowing that, God, you are in control. And Father, we give you praise and we give you glory. And you know what, church, as your head is bowed and your eye is closed, I, I just ask you this morning to consider these things and, and say, you know, where am I lacking at, in this? Am I lacking? And if you're not lacking, thank God, but begin to make a commitment that says, you know what, I'm going to add more to this. I'm going to begin to undergird this. I'm going to begin to build this because... It's not that I want to go out and just confront every demon I find. It's because I want to walk in victory. I want to walk in victory, and I want to have power 
or the circumstances of my life. I want to be the thermostat, not the thermometer. I want to change the conditions, not just simply react to them. So I challenge you, do business with God and let him work that out in your life. I'm going to ask real quick if our ministry team would come up front. As always, we have a ministry team that comes up and is here available for everyone for prayer. And if you need anything from God. And so what we're going to do is ask you to stand to your feet and we're going to release you today and let you go. And if you have a need, come on up on either side, any one of these people, and let them minister to you. Let them pray for you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.